0: The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities
1: every week.
0: Hello and welcome to the KM Community Podcast. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and I'll be bringing you the stories that matter at the heart of communities across the county. If you have a story you think needs to be told, just use the hashtag Community on social media or you can email me on okemp at thekmgroup.co.uk. This week... Residents and businesses across the county are at a greater risk of falling victims of cyber fraud than ever before. Between April 2018 and 2019, Kent Police recorded almost 2,000 non-judicial instances of cyber crime in the county. So what kinds of cyber fraud are out there and how can we protect ourselves? To discuss this, I'm joined by Amy Payne, cyber fraud expert and prevent and protect officer for Kent Police. The KM Community Podcast. So Amy Payne, welcome to the KM Community Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for being on this. Um so we want to talk a bit about cybercrime, cyber fraud. That that's very much something we want to talk about. It's it's cybercrime month as well, so people are talking about it a lot. It's in the public consciousness. This is a far bigger issue than it was ten years ago, is that right? <laughs>
1: It is, yeah. As obviously, as time is going on, technology is changing. More and more people have devices, um, and as sort of the world is developing, um, obviously the crime is, is, is developing. You know, we see a lot of low-level uh, cyber attacks, cyber um, incidents uh, with young people who are committing these types of crime. Um, so obviously, there is a, a, a trend where it's getting slightly, you know, worse as such. But um, yeah, definitely a huge um, issue that's increasing, and especially in Kent, it's increasing as well.
0: I suppose that's because, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you go back and you look at the internet, and the internet was almost like a bit of fun, wasn't it? You go on, you watch some videos, just some cat videos or whatever, and you might do a little bit of shopping, but there wasn't that much to it, and you think now it's so ingratiated into our society that I suppose it's inevitable that there's going to be some kind of criminal activity on it.
1: Yeah, I suppose with, you know, as as the time changes, um, I mean, you know, we see that, Children have got devices, you know, they're using for all sorts of things. The internet's a fantastic thing anyway, Um, you know, it's designed to connect people overseas, etc. So there's always a good element of of the internet, but also, as well, there's always going to be that under the dark world of the internet, Um, and that's obviously where things are progressing. Um, And, you know, things are changing in the sense of people kind of, you know, with the crime are changing. We see that obviously around 53% of of all uh, crime in Kent has some online element. Um, so obviously we're seeing a change in, in Kent um, of that. So obviously we're having to look at ways that we can change the way that we police the internet um, and do things along those lines. Because
0: so. I know you've talked before about the, this idea that um, you know you lock your doors and windows when you leave the house and people don't think the same way about the internet. Mm-hmm. Now that must be quite... It's quite a big challenge to educate people though, isn't it, and saying that this, this actually is statistically more likely to, to end up getting some kind of fraud in the cyber world than it is someone breaking into your house.
1: So, yeah, so I suppose with regard to uh, things changing, people tend to not realise the uh, the difference between, you know, Actually, their physical security as well as their cyber security. Um, so one of the things that I try and to sort of educate people, and part of my job as, as a cyber protect officer, is actually to try and educate people um, that actually they have to put the same emphasis as much as they do within their uh, home um, security, so the door locking and their you know windows and alarms that actually you know you can be burgled in your own home in front of your computer. You know, somebody can attack your computer very, very easily nowadays. Um and, It doesn't take somebody much to do that. Um, So I try to sort of tell people, you know, a password is a great way to protect your computer. It's the same that you would be locking your door. An antivirus is a good way, and and two-factor authentication is a really good way to protect your devices. Um, It's a bit like an alarm. It alerts you when there's something going wrong with your devices. Um, You know, if you have something broken, the door's broken, you're going to go in and you're going to fix that. Um, because you want to make sure that you're secure. And it's the same as that with patching your software and updating it, because actually there's a vulnerability there, then you need to patch that and repair that. Um, And the same with, you know, you wouldn't put uh, something outside your home to say, this is my date of birth, um, this is where I live, and this is my name, come in, I'm away. Um, And this is what happens on social media a lot of the time. A lot of people don't realise that their social media accounts are open, um, and that People can just view that. Um, it's your responsibility as uh, consumers of social media to make sure that your privacy settings are secure because you're giving information away for free. Um, you're making it easy. You know, We don't need to put dates of birth on social media. There's no need for that. Um, we don't need to put our full names on there and what we do for a living um, if we're going on holiday. All of those things don't need to be on social media, but people seem to do it, um, and that's one of the things that I try to explain to people when I do my talks it's the easiest way to protect yourself. Do
0: you think some of that might be the fault of large social media companies like Facebook and Twitter? Because the whole idea of these, these companies is to connect people. So you're, the way that people have, have always gone about Facebook is you want to put your pictures of your family on there, you want people to know about you. Um, and maybe early on there wasn't enough education on actually what some of the potential causes of cybercrime are and, and what some of the issues might be of putting your date of birth on there, putting your, your address on there. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure when Facebook started, people were, were putting wholesale all of their details out there yep. for people to potentially steal.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think what people don't realise, I mean, things are getting better with social media. I mean, there's been lots in the press recently about kind of, you know, Facebook and Instagram making sure that, you know, they are protecting people's data. But... Um, obviously that's going to take time, that's not something that's going to just happen overnight and actually you know you get the very basic, when you log on to Facebook and you um, you know set up an account, the privacy settings are set up basic and you have to physically go into each part of that and protect it. So I always say to people you know make sure that you don't You know, tag your friends in to where you are in locations. Um, Be a good friend, a Facebook friend where you don't actually show who you're friends with because actually that's how you can be socially engineered. Um, Also, as well, you know, making sure that you don't put your telephone number on there as well because you can actually close that. That doesn't have to be public or um, shared amongst friends, it can just be a private thing that you have on there. Um, And the same with uh, your email address. Your email address. One of the things that I try and sort of say to people is, um, with email accounts, have two separate email accounts. Have one for your Facebook, your social media, and have one private. Have a private account that you don't share with anybody. And that's a really good way of sectioning off um, social media and your personal life as well. That's how I, I try to think about it as well.
0: And if we could just go back for a minute about uh, this idea of two-factor authentication. Some people that are listening to the podcast might not understand quite what that is. So if you could just briefly explain that to us.
1: So two-factor authentication is basically something you activate onto things like emails, um, social media. um, And it's basically what will happen is you'll have um, a a text message um, or um, a code that's sent to you to authenticate it's you. So if somebody's trying to access your account from an unknown source, and it might be you, um, what will happen is that two-factor will, will, will activate and it will send you a link or it will send you a message to say, is this you? And if it isn't you, then you don't, you don't press that or you don't give the code. Um, and that's kind of the way that happens. And actually, it's probably the easiest and basic way to protect anything um, in, in your social media and your email. I mean, it happened to me. Um, I, I have two-factor authentication set up on Facebook, Somebody tried to access my account in the middle of the night. It asked me if it was me. So as I woke up in the morning, I saw this message. Was it me? No, it wasn't. Um, so that that person didn't get into my account. Um, and it told me where that person was. Um, and obviously, it, that wasn't me. So that's a really easy way to sort of protect the devices.
0: And do you think, because um, two-factor authentication seems like it's becoming more of a norm now for these websites, but, but back in, I mean, I know there was there was some there was apps like Orthy who kind of created two-factor authentication for the websites that didn't have it but it seems now like most social media seems to have that set up and it's got the idea that actually we need to make sure we're protecting people with this.
1: It's all about layering so password is one layer you know two-factor authentication is another layer and it's all about realizing that if you layer the security you're naturally going to protect yourself further you know you're, you're going to protect your um, your clients, your consumers of, of those, um, and it's it's all about that that layer. Um, so that's why we sort of you know say to people passwords um, because that's one layer. You know if, if you're trying to log onto your your phone or your laptop, you've got a password there. You might have a password then you go into your um, email account. Then that, that might be set up with two factor authentication. So already that's three layers without even you know really thinking about it. Um, and I think as time goes on you know things are changing I mean obviously there's lots of things around um, biometrics so we look at fingerprints facial recognition voice um, eye recognition um, and things are changing so we are going more towards that to make it easier for people that they haven't got to sort of think about all these passwords it's actually you know automatically with the face or the voice or the fingerprint Um, so things are changing more towards the biometrics
0: yeah and, and if you could g- g- go back for us a little bit and talk about what actually are some of the the main cyber fraud activities that are happening to residents in Kent?
1: Um, so I see a lot of trends around um, hacking of, of social media, uh, hacking of email accounts. Um, so we class those as cyber dependent crimes. So cyber dependent is crimes that can only be committed with a computer. So we also see, as well, with with businesses, um, we see a lot of ransomware, we see a lot of um, DDoS attacks, which is the distributed denial of service, so where the systems get flooded with with information and crashes. Um, So we see that a lot. Um, But also, as well, we see lots of different frauds. So one of the big frauds that we see, um, which is class... We class those as cyber-enabled crimes, where it's crime-committed... with a computer element. So we see things like courier fraud, which is where people are impersonating uh, police officers or law enforcement, um, pretending um, to these individuals that they're helping with the investigation um, and they need them to go to the bank to withdraw money. Or it may be that um, you know they might need their bank cards or some help with the investigation. And then obviously they kind of work with that person to try and manipulate them just that little bit more. Um, and obviously that that's affecting more the older generation, that we're seeing that trend happen more. Um, And obviously, as law enforcement, it's trying to get those messages out to those older people. So one of my jobs and one of my colleagues' jobs is to make sure that we try and get those messages out. So we work a lot with um, sort of Age UK um, and lots of other organisations that can kind of reach out to those um, vulnerable older people, really.
0: And and is it predominantly older people that are being taken... For a ride by these criminals,
1: um, I think we see a lot more with sort of courier fraud. Definitely, I think the average age is around seventy-seven. Um, where with the younger generation, it's more the social media side. It's more the you know the weak passwords. It's um, you know, too much information on social media, that's what we see more with the younger side. But with the older side, it's more the traditional fraud, so, the, you know, the courier fraud um, uh, and the things... ..and doorstep crime and things like that. That's what we see more so, um, and that's the split. But, yeah, it's, it is... Crime can happen to anybody, you know. We all realise that at some point we all are a victim of this type of crime. It's not something that none of us can be, not become victims of because we've all received that phishing email. We've all received those phone calls to say that we've had some issues with our... You know, have had an accident that wasn't our fault um, and press one to continue. You know, we've asked people phoning us to say, um, you know, you've got a fault with your computer. Um, I need to gain access to fix that. They might be saying they're Microsoft or BT or one of these organisations. Um, and people, unfortunately, we're very trusting we're very trusting and believe what these people are saying to us on the phone or on the, on the emails and things like that. So that does happen a lot. So I think crimes are kind of going from there, really.
0: And it's all just about taking advantage of people, not understanding exactly yeah. how people can be taken advantage yeah. of. And going back slightly, you talked about distributed denial-of-service attacks on, on businesses and kind of getting websites shut down, which obviously could have a massive financial impact on businesses. Why would someone want to do that?
1: Um, so we, it depends really. I mean, we see a lot of, um, that happening sometimes with, uh, young people. So people that are trying to trial in their skills. Um, so one area of my work is working with young children who've committed, uh, cyber offences. Um, so we're looking at the average age around, um, at the moment we, we're dealing with sort of children around about 13, um, who've, who are who offences. And they're just trialling their skills out to see whether they can do it. It might be that it might be somebody um, that has maybe um, a vendetta against that particular company and wants to knock them offline, or it just might be that that person, um, the company might be, you know, a, a fuel company or something along those lines, and actually, you know, someone might target them because of that.
0: That's like an ideological reason. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So it's kind of that's why they might get targeted um, and then, obviously, to knock them offline, it's going to cause a, a detrimental effect to the company, the reputation um, and the, you know, financial losses, all that sort of thing that happens. Um, so, yeah, we do see a lot of that.
0: I, I think, well, I find that quite shocking that, that, that you'd be having to work with 13-year-olds who are, who are kind of creating DDoS attacks, hacking, as it were. And that's quite a young age to be getting involved in that kind of crime. I mean, yeah. any crime, of course, but, but that crime specifically. And I guess the fear from people is that you can just sit in your bedroom at home and, and Absolutely. carry
1: this crime out. So one of the, the areas of my work is around um, cyber prevent. So um, we look at positively diverting these young individuals to make sure they're using their skills in the correct way. So one of the things that I do is we do a lot of intervention workshops with those individuals. We make sure that they understand the law. Um, and we kind of give them a chance. So a lot of the children that I deal with are neurodiverse. Um, so they tend to sort of not realise the consequences of, of their actions. Um, so one of the things that we do is educate them around the law, kind of give them a choice, okay, find this, what path they're going to choose, whether they're going to go down the right path or the wrong path, and then we give them a, um, resources to be able to utilise their skills in the right way we've had some really good responses from it so um, and we're doing a lot of work with schools we're doing a lot of um, work with individuals um, and trying to make sure that we keep them on the right track because they're very very talented individuals uh, so clever um, and we needed people like this to protect us as well um, not working against us so what we're trying to do is make sure that we get them on our side um, and obviously help them to develop their skills further but legally rather than illegally
0: because there's this whole subculture, isn't there, or there's, there's this whole element now of, of some businesses that are working with what you can call ethical hackers. Mm-hmm. And these people are uh, basically there to, to prove the weaknesses in security yeah. in order for organisations and individuals to make sure they're not going to be at risk of someone who's maliciously trying to hack. Yeah. So is that going to be a big... Do you think that'll end up being a part of, of kind of helping maybe these young people utilise their skills for a, a positive reason. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, what we try to do is is get them to, you know, we ask them what they want to do for a career. Most of them want to be ethical hackers. Um, but actually there's a fine line between ethical hacking and illegal hacking, so being a white hat and a black hat um, hacker. So there's obviously the grey hat as well, which is in the middle. Um, So there is a very fine line between those individuals uh, um, and what they choose to do, but most of the time they're kind of going down a path that's illegal um, and it's just us diverting them back into actually... You can, you can, um, you know do some penetration testing for businesses. But you have to have authority to do that. It's all about authorisation. If they don't have the authority, they can't do it. Um, And I think that's where they go wrong. They think that they're helping. um, And then, you know, we've seen in the press... These things happening, um, and these kids are kind of saying, well. I found the vulnerability, and I'm just telling them this is where the vulnerability is. But you didn't have authority to do that, um, so you shouldn't be doing it. You're breaking the law. Um, so that's where we kind of work really closely with them. And actually, you know, as I said, we've had some really positive outcomes. We've had some really good uh, young individuals who have gone off um, and now working, you know, in companies um, because they've been realised how brilliant their skills are um, but also as well been working with individuals that now have gone on to college to develop the skills further um, and there's so many programs out there for the young children to look at I mean there's a cybersecurity challenge um, we're looking to develop um, another program that's going to come out to schools in 2020 it's called the matrix challenge which is going to go to schools to identify children and they compete um, and then you know to try and get those individuals at an early age to get in the right paths because what point are is the law talk to them? You know, they talk to code, they talk to do all those things, but actually, law is not embedded in that, and that's where we come in.
0: And I think, like you said, that's quite difficult if you're talking about white, white hat, black hat, grey hat when you have. Political or ideological stances that you see in the in the media. You see, if you look at, for example, Extinction Rebellion, who mm-hmm. have had a huge presence this year in Kent. And we've had them in Maidstone yesterday, and we have them up in London. Um, and if if you kind of fall within that political ideology as you, when you're younger, and you're told, well, you should go and hack this fuel company, you should you should stage a DDoS attack on this organisation, you probably feel like you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, without maybe understanding the wider implications of the law and the fact that actually what you're doing is mm. considered illegal.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously they, they go down paths that they don't realise and, and and that's something that we are trying to sort of work quite closely. So we get referrals in from, you know, schools, um, from, you know, reports. We get referrals in um, and we try to look at it a little bit more holistically and try and think about these individuals and sit down with them and ask them, you know, what why, why has this happened, you know, you know I don't you know we don't want to go out there and arrest you know young children you know it's not kind of what you know we want to do so we're trying to look at ways that we can develop them in, in a different way in a better way, in a holistic way and and develop them in a better way so that they can go and utilize their skills legally and ethically um, and all of that sort of thing so yeah
0: uh, well, one more question from you Amy so uh, the fact that obviously the cyber security world has transformed a lot in the last decade and obviously Kent Police wants to work alongside that to make sure you guys are consistently trying to be a step ahead of those. Do you feel like you're finally getting to a precipice now where you, you understand the cyber world and you're able to combat those things or is it a case where it, it could change at any moment and a new threat could be on the horizon and then you have to completely re- reorganise and re-establish how you how you try and combat that?
1: I think the threats have always been the same but obviously the different the threats come in in different forms so it might be on one occasion it might be that we've seen a, a trend of um, phishing emails around banks um, so then the messaging that we send out is you know don't uh, respond to any information from banks that you you know you're expecting and things have move on where they go you know they've been seen uh, emails coming out where it's you know DVLA the TV license so they kind of they deviate onto different things so we have to then change our messaging to make sure that you know that as that trend is happening and that that change is happening that we keep up with that um, and unfortunately it happens once the incident has happened but we can then maybe try and protect people um, and to stop that happening in the in the future but they do change quite regularly um, and obviously things like ransomware are one of the things that obviously the threat changes all the time so you might have a strain of ransomware that actually you then have a kill code to get off the system but then that that will change, and they develop even more, so they they get better. So then, yeah, then there has to find another kill code to kill that particular ransomware, and so on. Um, so that's the sort of thing we have to keep up with, and the trends. I mean, my role is a forever learning role. Uh, I constantly have to research. I have to keep looking for threats, um, you know, all the time um, to keep up with it, because it does change, and it is as I said, forever learning. I, I don't stop researching and there's always something new that's come in and it just might be slightly tweaked. It will be the same threat, but slightly tweaked. It's
0: just about staying ahead of that curve then.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Amy, thank you very much. okay.
1: Thank you. The KM Community Podcast. Bringing you stories from Kent's
0: communities every week.